what it is, RJLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on Radio Justice LA Morning Wake Up Call at radiojustice.org. Where something new or unusual to talk about for stimulating conversation for you while staying safe at home or masked on the bus, train, plane, or social distancing in line for essentials. Today on Conversation Piece, Shanae Polk from Second Call discusses the challenges people face returning home from prison and hear from Michelle about her personal experience with reentry. The pipeline from prison to society challenged by COVID-19 and Second Call provides the help to keep them on track. Welcome to Conversation Piece. President just gave a speech and said we all in danger. Better hug your Bible tight cause only God can save us. I feel like they gon' take advantage and bring martial law. Maybe it's part of their agenda to control us all. We can't escape. If you ain't open up your eyes, then you cannot relate. And it's a time to come together and sit down and pray. I pray we stay alive. And how the fuck we supposed to live when it's a war outside? And I don't feel like I'm free. Everybody in chains. How the fuck we gon' eat when we digging our grave? Maybe it's karma for the government's lies or a disguise. To cover up the hell on this earth I'm trying to rise and get my people out the struggle we fight I just hope that at the end of this dark tunnel it's light But still I'm holding this mic Giving the people hope with lyrics I write I'm hoping that I never lose in this life Y'all know what it's like I heard prophecies that Armageddon soon to come Tsunami of lies flooding us, nowhere to run Hard for the blind to see it for what it really is They make us turn on each other with our biggest fears Millions to be made off the state of emergency you know. Elite get paid off the trade of the currency you know. But renegades show the way as a courtesy Cause them not worry we know them not worry we Shanae Polk, welcome to Conversation Peace Thank you very much. Thank you, Angela, for having me. So briefly, tell us what is Second Call? Second Call. Second Call is Second Chances at Loving Life. And what we as an organization do is save lives. We help with reentry. We help with providing individuals with careers into construction. We also help with court-mandated classes, domestic violence, anger management. How did you get connected with Second Call? You, you're the operations manager for, for Second Call, and I've seen your videos, and they are, your story's powerful, and I would love for you to share your story. Thank you, Angela. So I met Skip. Skip Townsend is the founder of Second Call, and I met Skip in 2012. I met him while I was serving a 17 years to life sentence. I'm sorry, I met Skip Townsend while I was serving a 15 to life sentence at CIW, which is California Institution for Women. And at this point in my time, I was looking for a group that was there when I paroled. I had a very specific type of group that I was looking for at CIW. I did most of my time at a prison in Chowchilla, which is Valley State Prison for Women. And out of all the groups I did, they were pretty much the same, you know, and which were, some of them were, a lot of them were really great. I get to second call anger management class and 
the first thing that stood out to me were the rules, the simple use of an I statement, because I statements are extremely powerful. And I realized that I need to speak for myself. Everything that has happened in my life, good or bad, I am responsible for. So that in itself was empowering and it helped me with taking accountability and being responsible for the person that I was at the time. So that was meeting Skip in 2012. And since then, I have continued taking second call classes until I paroled in 2015. I paroled on a Friday and went to a second call class on a Monday and was accepted into second call with open arms. And soon after, I started working with Skip. I was able to get employment really quick because of the connections in Second Call. I was working at a drug and alcohol counseling program before I even boarded the Second Call team. And that was with the help of Skip and the connections through Second Call. So that is how I was introduced to Second Call. And I knew that without a doubt, this was a program that I was going to stay for the long haul. So how many other programs were you involved with before Second Call? And why didn't those work or give you what what you're getting from Second Call? Well, I spent 17 years in prison. And I don't know how many groups I was involved with prior to Second Call because there were a lot. And as a lifer in prison, one of my main goals to do is to do self-help groups to better myself because what I had to do was go to board and prove myself that I am not going to commit the same crime that I committed to get in prison in the first place. So there was countless groups that I did. What made Second Call different was, again, the accountability. I was, it, it was the realness of the group. It wasn't, it was somebody from the streets helping me maneuver and manage in the street in a healthy way when I paroled. And that is what I needed the most. I needed to surround myself with healthy people and learn how to function in this function. Being gone for so long, I wasn't sure how my family was. I wasn't sure how people were going to react to me, how I was going to react to them. But I knew without a doubt that It was my responsibility to keep myself safe. And safe, I don't mean physically safe, but I mean mentally. What are are the mental um, struggles when you say mentally safe? Well, a lot, because I can be my own worst enemy. I don't need nobody to, to beat myself up. I don't need anybody to beat me up. I can do that on my own, especially when I was, you know, years ago when I had low self-esteem. It was very easy for me to have a whole conversation with myself, get myself worked up or get into a, a depression. But now I realize, okay, these are choices. I have a choice to, to be happy, to be upset. I have to realize, okay, if I got angry today with anyone, what is the reason? What was the underlying reason that I became angry today? If somebody cut me off, was it that serious? Could I have let it go? Did I have to respond? Did I need to react? Most of the time, the answer is no. And then when I choose to respond, how can I choose to respond 
in a healthy way to where I'm not arguing, I'm not fighting, I'm not in conflict. So when I say mentally, I always want to be at peace so I can bring peace to whatever situation, to whatever room that I'm in. I want to bring that with me. So you, you said that, that you were um, a lifer. Was this your first time being incarcerated or has the prison system been a revolving door for you? No, this was one term I did. I was arrested in 1998 for aiding and abetting second degree murder and I paroled in 2015. So this was a one time and been home for five years now. I got off parole this year and now I'm I'm able to live without having, you know, the W number or the system still attached to me. How how does prison become a revolving door and how does second call stop it from being such for, for your clients? Well, this is a two part question. So Initially, a lot of people believe, okay, prison is a revolving door because of drug abuse, crime, committing crimes over and over again, not caring about society or the community that that person lives in. Second call, I see it different. I see it as what is going on? What is it that is making this person continue to use drugs? What is going on that this person continues to go and commit robberies or join this gang? It's more than just wanting to join a gang. I believe every human being was born with innocence, purity as a whole. So something happened somewhere in an individual's life that changed and became hard, callous, angry, upset, hurt, disappointed. So at Second Call, I want to figure out what that is. I want to help somebody heal and go through levels, levels of self-forgiveness, forgiveness of others, to where we can shed those layers of hurt, pain, and anger. Because there's something underneath that's going on. I've never met anyone that used drugs that just did it for just no reason. I can always see what someone is running to. But I don't know what that person is running from. So at Second Gall, in our groups, with certain discussions on low self-esteem, dysfunctional family, I'm able to create a safe place for women and men to discuss what is it that's really going on? What is it that's bothering me? What, why is it that I'm choosing to run to the streets and eventually prison versus stay home and be the great mom that I know I can be, uh, a great husband, a working husband. What were you running from and running to? I was running from actually having to grieve the loss of so many people in my life. At a very early age, I learned at 12 not to trust anybody. My brother was shot and killed by the police when I was 12 years old. And that when that happened, a lot changed in me. One is I could not trust anyone, and I mean authority, any type of authority, and not just police officers, I'm meaning teachers, my parents, anyone in a position of authority, I lost all respect for. And I also lost respect for human life, 
because if somebody that I was growing up to look up to so easily murdered my brother, then nobody's life mattered. My life didn't matter. And I, at, at the very young age of 12, I became very angry, but I didn't know it. And then over time, I lost. It was a chain of people that I kept losing up until 17 and losing my father. And during from the age of 12 and 17, I was a walking time bomb. I'm just shaking and shaking inside and not knowing. And what happened is I exploded, just as a soda can would do. If I'm shaking it up, pass it to you, Angela. What's going to happen after you open it, it's probably going to explode right in your face. So that's what I was running from, the actual grief, because I didn't know what grieving entailed. I didn't know what it looked like because I wasn't taught. I was taught to be angry. So the police killed my brother. Okay, what do we do? We go pick it. We go create signs. We go create havoc. We, we feed into the anger. And what happens is when there's angry people around each other, I just get more and more angry. So instead of stopping, talking about it, crying, healing, I became angry. I became reactive versus responsive. What is your brother's name? My brother's name is Lloyd Polk. Lloyd Polk. Yes. This murder happened in 1991. In 1991. Yes. With everything that's happening now after the George Floyd um, murder and the global awareness of police terrorism, do you find any, is, is today's protesting different from the protesting you guys were doing for your brother Lloyd? I think on a bigger scale, yes, there's, there's more leaders, I believe, today. The social media platform can be so helpful with that. The, what happened in itself, I don't believe much changed. And from 91 to 2020, but I also believe 10, 20 years prior to my brother being murdered, nothing has changed. I'm sure that there's countless of murders that happened before him in 1991. So did anything change with that in the, in the system with the police? No, absolutely not. If anything, it's gotten worse. So no, it definitely has not changed at all. It's the, it's, it's now just a different name is what it is. And unfortunately, that's what it becomes. A different police officer with a, with a, with a different person that they have murdered. That's what changes is, are the names and faces of the story, but not the story. 12 years old, your brother gets killed by, murdered by the police. And then at 17, your father dies. Is his death surrounding violence or is it natural causes? It was natural causes. My father was older, had health complications, and it, it, was, it was natural causes. And then you're, you're basically alone. 
after your father died. So how much time between your father died before you found yourself and the California uh, Women Institution? About a year. It, it wasn't long after I moved out of the city thinking I can get away. And again, what I was getting away from, I, I wasn't sure. I guess I figured if I relocated, things would be better. But it wasn't better because what I was bringing was all of my unresolved trauma. So it didn't matter where I went, my unresolved trauma, anger, and grief was still with me. So it didn't matter where I moved, the type of job I got, how much money I had or didn't have. What mattered was I was still suffering and angry, and I needed to work on that. I needed to start healing versus dealing because what a lot of people do I believe is deal with things I believe especially women I believe women are very very strong and capable of doing so much when have to so I don't know any woman woman that can't deal with anything parenting work death grieving so much a woman can do with and, but that's the problem is that I was just dealing with it. Okay, something else came on my plate. I'm going to just deal with it. I'm going to make it happen, and I'm going to do it. It was so, completely di different than the healing process. With Second Call, you guys are trying to determine what everybody is running from in order to well, direct their paths to what they're running to? No. Well, what, I, what Second Call is doing is allowing them to identify what they are running from. I cannot identify what anyone is running from. I can only create a conversation and allow that individual to freely talk without judgment, without any pressure, whatever it is they feel comfortable with. And through exercises like the where I'm from exercise, that exercise is where I can ask someone, what do they remember from their earliest childhood memories? through their five senses. What do I remember hearing, tasting, touching, smelling? What are those memories? Because from those memories, I can identify so much about myself and I can also identify my triggers. Do certain smells bother me? Where did that smell come from? Does a certain, do, if I see something, does it trigger me from something that I saw when I was younger? So that will, that is what allows an individual to start that process of thinking about what is it that I'm actually running from? Because what so many people do is just not talk about it. So now it's bottled up. Now it's in me and suppressed. And the only thing I'm now going to say is I'm okay. I'm good. It happened so long ago. It's not that big of a deal. But the reality is it is a big deal. Now, how, how do you go from being paroled in 2015, and now you're the operations manager for Second Call. How did you do that? Well, I knew before I left prison that I, I already had my mind after I started working on myself, okay, I am now not going to die in prison and parole in a pine box because that is what was told to me when I entered prison. Once that shifted around, I want to say 2009, when I had that shift, 
and I became and started working on myself to become a better woman, I knew I had to, again, surround myself with better people. And Second Call was not only an organization that helped me, but it, it was something that I was going to be a part of. So when I came home and saw this great organization working, I knew I had to be a part of it. And in very little time, Skip offered me a position. I was working as a facilitator. They went to program director. And now I am where I'm at. How much time did you spend in prison? You went in at what age and you came out at what age? I was, I served a total of 17 years, a little bit, it was about 16 years and 10 months is probably what I said. I was, I had just turned 18 when I went into prison and after 35, Angela, I don't know how old I was anymore. I figured the years just meshed together, but I was, I paroled in 2015. That's a long time. It is a long time. And for you to, so you're, you're already breaking a stereotype that, that most people have, you know, and our stereotypes come from racist television shows, improper data. Somebody will look at you based on paper and say, She's going to go back in. She's not going to, how is she going to contribute to society? But with Second Call, you guys are saying there's a second chance at, at loving life. There absolutely is. Absolutely. And a lot of time that data comes from, you know, the offenders that go in and out versus, you know, men and women that do life sentences that have been putting so much work and pouring work into themselves. It's, it's a completely different population. How is the pandemic affecting you guys' services and your relationships with the clients who are out of prison and the ones that, that you guys work with who are still incarcerated? Well, there's a lot of fear, Angela. There's a lot of fear amongst the populations that, that can call serves for a few reasons. One is speaking on people that are paroling, it is a very controlled environment. You know, in, in prison, things are, are told to you when to do this, when to do that. So coming home now, just on a regular day, can be scary. So now, here it is, people are paroling during the pandemic. So the basic things like getting a driver's license or an, an, an ID, a physical ID, can't take place because I can't go to the DMV. So social security cards sometimes are needed. There, there's so much that is needed for somebody re-entering, especially if they did it a long time. It's now difficult to do that because now I have to do everything through technology and online. But for somebody that has been incarcerated, 15, 20 plus years, okay, that's a whole different area that I now have to figure out how to maneuver through a phone, how to turn a phone on, how to turn a laptop on. That in itself is scary. 
So I have so much already that I'm thinking about. Now I'm afraid of a pandemic. I cannot see my family after so many years of being incarcerated. People can't see their loved ones, their kids, their their significant others because they have to keep everyone safe. So that's also an issue as well, especially if people are paroling to a program or a transitional home. They're not allowed to see family. That's very difficult. Um, I'm thinking that those type of things will be handle while you're getting ready to get released from prison, that the prisons would, would handle that. But you're saying that's something that's up to, that that's on the inmate, that that's on the, the formerly incarcerated person, that that's up, that that's on the parolee, that our prison system or the parole um, process doesn't include those services to get your driver's license, to get your social security. You would think there'd be like a, a, a mini DMV social security administration, you know. No, not at all, Angela. Uh, maybe given resources and, you know, a piece of paper that says, you know, who to call, where to go. But I have to maneuver that on my own. There, there is no hand-holding when I am released. So I'm an adult and I have to figure it out. So are you guys still able to go into the prisons right now to do classes or that is, or is that done by? Not at all. I was, no, I made the decision before the prisons did to stop going in because I didn't want to jeopardize myself or the women in prison because being that they are in the closed environment, if any of them in my class was to get it, it was because I, another staff, brought it into the prison. So I realized a lot of times so many people are scared of catching something when they go into the prison, but it's actually quite the opposite because people have been incarcerated now for quite a while through the county jail, now in prison. So most of the illnesses and viruses that are caught in prison are because someone like Sav has brought it into the prison. So I did not want to be that person that did. So I stopped going into the prison and have no plans on going back in probably until sometime in 2021. There's no technology that can help with those to, to replace what you were doing in the prisons. Well, we started a distant learning program. So what it is, I'm just able to now with the help of staff is, give them, you know, our curriculum. It's everything through the mail. You know, we have questions. They have the uh, curriculum that we may send in, let's say on on low self-esteem, maybe the topic for this particular lesson. And then we send that in there with question and answers. You know, how do you feel about yourself? So there is some type of dialogue still going on. And it's really important, I believe, to continue the self-help, especially through a pandemic, especially through the fear of living in prison, not knowing what's going on with horrible medical care. And I want to be able to instill the positivity that, okay, I can get through this in here. So I want to continue with our lessons of second call still while through this pandemic. That is what we're doing now. 
and that's just through the prison. We're, we are hold, held, holding our Zoom classes for those that are out here, which before COVID-19, we were having at least, we had 12 classes a week, second call classes, whether it was anger management, domestic violence, or parenting. These were all court-mandated classes. And now we are holding them via Zoom so people can still get the credit they need. They still have parole, probation obligations to meet, court requirements to meet. So what I didn't want is having anybody get violated because there wasn't any classes being ran. However, they can't be ran because we have to social distance and stay home. So it was almost like a catch. You want someone to complete a program, but yet you want someone to stay home and not be around anyone. So we started our Zoom classes. Do you guys have more participation with the Zoom classes? Because, or is it less because of, I don't know, the, the digital divide? Does everybody have a smartphone, internet? It's not. The technology can be challenging for a lot. We have some older participants that just can't maneuver through how to download the Zoom app, how to log in. It's, it's challenging. And as much as I can help somebody and try to walk them through the process, you know, they just can't get it and then give up. So we have less participants. We probably have right now about... 70 to 80 participants throughout our Zoom classes when prior to COVID-19, we had over 100. And with that decrease in, in, in help, are you guys seeing that it's, is the return rate going back to, to prison increasing, decreasing, or is it about the same? pre and, um, and current COVID? Well, I, I know, here's how I can answer that question and be very authentic. Those that are paroling and staying connected to second call, we are having that same rate of success, even with Zoom. Now it is an individual's choice to come to us, come get some type of help, some type of services, that is where things are, or the ball is dropping because we, they, they don't have to check in to parole as much depending on the parole office. So then that gives somebody an opportunity to fall off or fall through the cracks versus before, you know, the, the continuous check-ins, the, Hey, have you been to class? That was, that was helping a lot more. Wow. I guess it's just like every other part of, of industry with, with the pandemic. Some of our, our, our schools are suffering, thus our students are suffering. Over 40 million people unemployed, workplaces not show, sure how to reopen and bring in their employees. So with the parole system, they're not working at the same level that they were working at before and, and people are slipping through the cracks well yes because people are afraid people are upset people are angry everyone has an opinion 
and it doesn't make that person wrong. So what it is is people are trying to figure out what is going to happen with themselves. What is going to happen to me? Am I going to continue to have a job? Okay, I don't have a job. Now what do I do? So all the other stuff that is going on that needs to take place is, is just not happening. And I, I don't believe it's that individual thought. I, I don't believe that there's something to do right now at the moment because I think everyone has their own worries and concerns or not concerned and, and have the efforts that, you know what, I, I don't care what's going on. So there, there's so many different dynamics of what's going on that what's going on underneath is just being overlooked. So what kind of adjustments are you guys uh, making to, to fill in those voids? You're doing the Zooms. Is there something else? That, that you guys are, are, are doing or are, um, have on, on the agenda for, I don't know, post-pandemic or to, to get through the rest of 2020? Well, yeah, so we're case managing more. We do case managing more via Zoom and via telephone. So we're reaching out and staying connected more than we would because, and we're asking very specific questions versus just how are you? Because I can ask anyone, how are you? And the, the response is, I'm okay. I'm good. But really, that person is not okay. That person isn't good. So I'll ask a question. Did you or your family eat today? How are you going to get your next meal? What is it? Do you have work? Do you, are you looking for work? Because then what Second Call can do is provide, you know, Last month, we gave out gift cards to Rouse and Food for Less to provide groceries for those that wanted it and or needed it. So I'm in the case management sessions, the questions are designed to get the participant to tell me what it is they need. What are your needs right now? And let me see if I can help with that. And I want to make it very specific for the individual on what it is that they or their family may need during this time. So that's one thing that we're doing now that is helping with keeping those that are out and aren't connected with us to stay out and to, and to stay connected, to know that you can come to us and ask for what it is you need versus going into this store and taking it, because that's what I don't want you to do. As, as we are, um, you know, protests are, are continuing against racist institutions, gaps and racial divide for economics, housing, education, healthcare, wages, and you guys' line of work, what should we be aware of that people should be advocating for? Well, there's a... There's a, a big piece in all of this that I think sometimes it's overlooked and it's, it's the domestic violence piece. So what is it that someone is going through at home? If I'm in a domestic violence relationship and I now don't have work to go to, I'm at home with my abuser, my kids are home with their abuser, I may be the abuser and now my kids are home with me every day I think that's being overlooked and it needs some more light to because with everything that's going on, that doesn't have 
a race attached to it because domestic violence is in it, it, it doesn't domestic violence does not discriminate with race or gender it is in every nationality's home culture so that is a piece that i believe that people should be shedding more light into as second call helps with trying to identify refer out that is one of the biggest things that i think sometimes is, is overlooked which is why i know that there's a big split between you know do kids go back to school sometimes that's their safe way to go back to school and there's there's so many reasons why they should stay home or why they should go to school and who's to say who's right and who's wrong because it's coming from an individual perspective what is your your most radical dream for the re-entry process for everyone to be connected with someone else that is healthy mentally. So they have that support and guidance in a healthy way. Not the support of, hey man, what's up? Let me put you on. Let me help you get that money. I want the support of come sit with me. Let's figure out what you need and let's get it. That simple. You want to be re you re be, re be reunited with your children? Let's start that. Not jump through hoops, through all the court systems and the process. Let's, let's make some phone calls and get that. You need something to wear? Let's get that. You need a job? Let, let's figure out how I can get you not just a job, but a career. And it be that simple. Not the countless referrals not that I don't have the funding, sent to this program, we don't have no more beds, we don't have no more money, I can't accept anyone during COVID-19, that tends to be the response. So my dream for the reentry would be that everyone needs are fulfilled. Well, we're gonna take a break. One of the quotes from the movie Just Mercy is the opposite of poverty isn't wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, and you're listening to Conversation Peace with my guest, Shanae Polk of Second Call. Next, we'll we hear Michelle's story, who has been paroled during the pandemic. We'll be right back. Yeah. Fuck with yeah. any kid, fuck, yeah. you gon' have to get yeah. through it. Oh, 
When I make it to the heavens, what's the code? Do I call the phone? Security at the gate, no plus one. Come all alone. All alone, the race of life. I took a jog along, along the coast. I'm trying to cope. I raise a toast and we consulted with the most high. He told me, watch my back, front, both sides. Hit a few baddies, you never smash, for y'all both die. Let the smoke rise. Take the bodies to the crypts. And when the poor people run out of food, they can eat the rich. Plead the poor fifth. Drop one. Zombies on the block. See, I come with a shot like Siaka, my pop. I got this block for my pops. It make the parking lot stop. We on the clock and time top ticking. Have you forgotten it? Feeling like the Lord left the room. Dead bodies rising from the tomb. Damn Daniel, is we finna meet our MF doom. Mask on, mask off, face the future like high noon. The news keep on saying we'll die soon. So sit back and roll up the my tunes. And if I'm gone before the end of the song, just tell my mom I ain't get rich yet, but I try to. Shit, I need a new planet to fly to. Fly to. It's the end of days in the time. My oh my. Welcome back to Conversation Piece. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, on RadioJustice.org. We have Shawnee Polk, Operations Manager of Second Call, where they offer a second chance at loving life. And joining us for this segment, we have Michelle, one of their participants, one of their clients of Second Call. Michelle, welcome to Conversation Piece. Thank you so much. I, I definitely appreciate your invitation. Thank you. Thank you for, for giving us your time today. How mm-hmm. did you get connected with Second Call? Um, I got connected, I would say, maybe about two years ago. I was an inmate at uh, CIW, which is California Institution for Women here in California. I am 49 years old, and at the time I was like 47, and I realized I was at a point in my life that I needed to have some more relationship um, work, Uh, and Sinead's class uh, or group at Second Call was available to me, and I signed up and I got in and it's been an amazing experience. Uh, I was, there was the group participation um, really helped me understand what I was lacking in uh, relationships and what was my participation in failed relationships in my life. Uh, So, and what was good about Shanae is she walked that walk and she'd been there before. So as she was talking through the process, I can identify with a lot of what her history was and what she went through. And she just helped along me grow as a person uh, in that experience. So um, that's how I first got into second call. And then I just believed in the process. Like she was telling me that she had taken it out and, and she was making a difference by coming back into the prison and allowing us women to be stronger women um, by saying, hey, you don't just have to parole, you can do other work and help others. And that's, by her example, I wanted to be part of that uh, process with Second Call. Um, and I paroled. I can't believe it. I made it out. And I was like, what? I was just like, I, I, I was like stunned. And so I've been out for like three months and I got on the phone with Shanae and I was like, hook me up. I really want to be part of Second Call. Um, and what was great about it is 
um, second call was able to re uh, send reference letters into me um, to um, help me um, show officials that I was part of a program out there. But personally, it made me feel part of a family, like I wasn't rolling alone because it's really scary um, for my personal experiences. I don't have family here in California, and I am virtually by myself. And so it's not just about me taking um, relationship classes, domestic violence classes, batterers classes, um, and just going to group and then completing them and moving on with my life. I found a family. And that was amazing for me. Um, they never dropped the ball. She answered my phone calls, my tests, my texts, and then she was like, "Look, we got a group for you." Um, and here I am doing their Zoom groups on Tuesdays at one o'clock. And what's different about this group is I'm not sitting with participants that are only women that I've been living with for years in a controlled environment. I am now doing group participation with men and women that have been out on the streets living their lives. And then I realize, wow, I need more relationship work because now I'm dealing with people that have a different perspective on relationships because they've been living out here. And I haven't. I've been incarcerated for 29 years and my my perspective on relationships are completely different and so second call was able to um, continue on with my um, my societal um, rehabilitation so in other words I'm moving forward and doing those milestones I need to do to be successful in society and it's because of second call now what, what was the class in prison what, what was what was that, that class called and what was it about um, that particular class was domestic violence, um, and it was relating to issues um, with domestic violence. Uh, we talked about from the batterer's point of view, um, and we also talked about from the victim's point of view. Uh, it was interesting because the scenarios that we did um, allowed me to really focus on what my role was in the relationship. And it wasn't simply me being a victim at one time, but how I turned into the batterer. And uh, I, it, was, it was really moving for me that I was able to recognize it. And one of those, um, one of those I remember doing a group with her and she was talking about being vindicated in my relationship and acting on vengeance for that and wow I couldn't get better words to understand what my behaviors were and that was just one example of how um, Second Call was able to put this curriculum together it was a great curriculum um, so yeah that was what the group was about right and then so you got paroled you connected back with with Shawnee mm -hmm. and you're doing these current what what is the current class about uh, the current the current class is uh, we are working on anger management with domestic violence and batterers um, group and I noticed that um, every day with our curriculum or every week we, with our curriculum we talk about uh, what our behaviors are influencing 
our relationship. So like, for instance, last week we um, talked about um, anger in uh, our new reality, COVID. I'm sitting out here. When I paroled, with, which is a blessing in itself, but when I paroled, I paroled to an environment that's locked down. And that is something that was introduced into Second Call was how do we feel um, as people being locked down in a situation um, and being with our partners, being with our coworkers, being with our supervisors because um, anger is going to happen. And that's a really true story. So I'm listening to not only the participants talk about their issues with anger and how they have to wear face masks, they have to deal with people that are not wearing face masks, um, they're trying to work or they can't get any work. And I thought I was alone because I'm sitting right now in a program that we are basically on a um, lockdown status so we can remain safe as, um, in, in society. And that doesn't allow me to have, I can't just walk out the door and try to get a job. You know, I have to be safe because I live with other people. And does it make me angry? Absolutely, because I thought I was gonna get on with my life and that's not the truth. And so because through Second Call, I was able to recognize I'm having anger issues right now. I didn't realize that. I was just kind of sitting around, just kind of being quiet, but I wasn't really processing what I'm going through right now. By going to a group every Tuesday, now I'm able to process that. And uh, it's helping a lot. Mm -hmm. Wow, so you, you, got, you got released during the, the pandemic. So when, when you got paroled during the pandemic, did the prison administration do anything to prepare you to to enter the coronavirus? Did they did they test you before you come out for no. for COVID, or is just you're you're on your own? This is what they they did do um, since it was three months ago, and we were kind of the prison really haven't got hit that hard yet, like they are right now. Um, which was interesting. I was working in a factory making masks. Um, I was working 12-hour shifts, seven days a week. We had to produce 4,000 masks a day um, to, for um, helping um, CDC um, inmates, you know, and it was, it was uh, a privilege of mine to be in service, so I was okay with that. Um, so CDCR was in the beginning of getting prepared for that. When I parole, what was given to me was the information I needed if I had symptoms of corona and where I could get to get tested or to go to an emergency um, center to get help. And so they did do what they could at the time that they were prepared for. I do not know what they are doing now I don't know if they're testing inmates when they leave, but at the time, that's what was given for me. Um, so, yeah. and and you stayed in contact with Second Call while you were still in, and then you got out, mm -hmm. and this relationship has been going on for for what two years? 
Two years, yes. Two yeah. years. And uh, so prior to the two years, no other program was, was helpful. Nobody else was coming, coming into the prison to, to, assist, to assist you. Um, well, there was, I've done several programs, um, but the difference between Second Call and the other programs I was, that I was in um, was Second Call, I, because I believed in the purpose and I asked to be part in service of them, they embraced that. I mean, they were on it. They were like, okay, here's a phone number, here's an address, I'm sending you a letter. When you're here, contact me immediately. And so they were actually um, instrumental in my, my exit plan. And that was what the difference is. Right, to have, to have, that, have that plan. So you most definitely um, recommend Second Call for anyone who is trying to adjust to being outside of, of prison life. Yes, um, I do. I, I, I think it's because they, they go up and beyond and they do the footwork. And, they, and it's not just simply um, being busy with their time and, and, and trying to help out society. What they're doing is they're actually saying, you're an individual and I'm keeping an eye on you and we're not going to let you go until you're ready to go on your own. And so I appreciated that, um, that invitation. So it, it made it more family oriented. And, I, I pre and that's what I enjoyed about it. So, Shawnee, what's next for, for Second Call? What's next is continue to adjust. Adjust during this pandemic, adjust during COVID-19, helping women like Michelle come home and fit in and allow them to do what it is they want to do and be of service to them. Because right now, as things are changing, second call is changing. So as the world shifts, second call will shift to still meet the needs of the individuals that want to be a part of second call. And how can people find you guys? We are easy to find. Skip. Townsend is all over social media. So we have a website, secondcall.org, Facebook page, Second Call, Twitter page, Second Call, Instagram, Second Call, Google Second Call, and one of our faces will pop up. What can society at large do to support you guys? Well, to be honest, one of the main things really is to have an, an, an open mind and have conversations like this, share stories like this so others can be aware that people that are coming home are not terrible people. We are not horrible people. I am someone that committed a crime in my past. Now I am choosing to make better decisions and I have changed my life around. So that is really the biggest piece because it would help society as a whole if more stories like Michelle were shared because nobody that I have met going into prison at 18, 19 years old, coming out at 40 is the same person. It's just not happening. So that is one thing that society as a whole can do 
is have an open mind and be aware that I am not the same person and neither is Michelle. Well, thank you ladies so much for, for giving me your time today on Conversation Peace. Second Call, you can find them at secondcall.org and that's the number 2ndcall.org. dot O-R-G. And they also, I believe you guys still have your, your 24-hour um, voicemail is still available for, for, for people yes. to call? Yes. You can call 213-282-3105. Say that number one more time for us. 213-282-3105. Michelle, any last, last words for us? Um. Really, thank you. I'm just really floored that uh, this is the open forum where years ago we were, it just wasn't talked about, about people paroling from prison and it wasn't a positive experience. And I just really amazed how we are able to get a voice and show that we have changed. I'm a changed person. And I changed because I'm part of Second Call, and I will continue on with that. So thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And congratulations. Congratulations on, on getting parole. And thank you for sharing your, your story with us today. And may God just bless, bless, bless you and, and continue to put order to, to your steps. Thank you to my conversation piece guests of Second Call, Operations Manager Shanae Polk, and Michelle, a Second Call participant, both living and displaying a second chance at loving life. Thank you to Leslie Radford, Adam Rice, Nicole Johnson, Michael Washington of M. Watch So for the opening and closing theme song, and always you, our RGLA family. Reach us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love. Give us some likes as you listen to us worldwide anytime on RadioJustice.org. I'm Angela Birdsong. Once again, thank you for allowing me to share this special experience of conversation peace on Radio Justice LA Morning Wake Up Call with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love.